Hi, this is John Lodge of the Moody Blues, and you're listening to Follow Your Dream on the Robert Miller Podcast. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream, and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream Podcast. I am Robert Miller, your host. My guest today is the great Bev Bevan, a world-famous drummer who was a founding member of ELO, the Electric Light Orchestra, and The Move. He's played with Black Sabbath, Mark Bolin, Robert Plant, the Everly Brothers, and Rick Wakeman, among others. And he's currently touring with the band Quill. And in the second half of this episode, as I do with all my musician guests, we are going to do what I call a song fest. I have gone through with Bev. We've picked out three or four songs that kind of encapsulate his career. And we're going to play them and talk about them. And nobody else does this on podcasts. I promise you, we'll have a lot of fun. My featured song in this episode, and I always feature a song of mine underneath the introduction and at the end, is the live version of the song I Can't Explain. It's my reimagined take on the Who's iconic song. This was recorded live in Serbia in 2018 by my band Project Grand Slam and released on our album, Greetings from Serbia. And I chose this song because I am a big fan of the British Invasion era, and we're gonna talk about that with Bev, and of British rock generally, and Bev has been front and center in this music. So Bev Bevan, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast, baby. Thank you, great to be on it. I'll tell you, as I said, I grew up, I came of age musically during the whole British invasion era, you know, and for us in the United States, that all started when the Beatles appeared on the Ed Sullivan show, as you know, and then one group after another just kept coming over, taking over the airwaves, taking over everything in the United States. And you were front and center. You were part of this whole era. So tell me, what was it like? (laughs) It was pretty amazing, really. I started out a few years before, you know, the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. But my first band was a, uh, in, formed in Birmingham, straight out of school and straight into music. And it was a band called Denny Lane and the Diplomats. I got to stop you there. Denny Lane was one of my favorite guys in the early British invasion. His song, Go Now, which introduced all of us to the Moody Blues. I mean, it was a spectacular song. But you predate that because Denny Lane and the Diplomats was around 1963, right? Yeah, we we had we were only together for about 18 months. And we we nearly got ourselves a record deal uh, (laughs) with Pie Records with a guy called Tony Hatch. And but he had another band and he had to choose between Denny Lane and the Diplomats and this other band from Liverpool that were called <laughs> The Searchers. Uh-huh. And he chose The Searchers. So, uh, and they only, they only went on to have about 30 hits. So I think it was a pretty good choice. <laughs> but with Denny Lane Diplomats, we had, a, we had a, an interesting career. We opened, we opened for the Rolling Stones. We opened for uh, Little Stevie Wonder. 
Uh, but our, our biggest not, our biggest day was opening for the Beatles uh, at, at a show in, in the Midlands. And that was in July 63. The Beatlemania was just kicking in. Uh, we were the band that were on right before they were. Uh, and it was absolute mayhem, but it was marvellous mayhem. Yeah. I mean, at that time, could you see that they were about to explode? Was that obvious or not? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we'd never seen, we'd never seen, any, actually, what happened, we were massive fans of the Beatles, and we were told that we were chosen to be on right before they were on. But we're, they said, you know, you got, you're on for about 20 minutes, half an hour. But the Beatles were coming from a, a different show in Birmingham, and they were delayed for like an hour. And we ended up playing over an hour's worth of material. And half of the stuff that we normally play were Beatles songs. <laughs> so we couldn't do any of them. So we ended up, it is a funny story. We ended up doing really off the wall stuff. And one of the things we did was Take Five by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. You're kidding. Which is in, and it has a drum solo in, right. in five four time. Right. And we finished, and we did that and we did something else. I saw the Beatles had arrived and they were watching us from the wings. And I was packing my drums away, and Paul McCartney came over to me, and he said, "Hey, that was great, that kid." He says that drum solo in like in five four times. Says, "Hey, our drummer could never do that." <laughs> so I lived on that for years. Wow. <laughs> now was was Pete Best their drummer at that time, or was it Ringo? No, it's Ringo. Okay, it was Ringo. Yeah. All yeah. right. You got something over Ringo. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, people. Uh, while we're talking on the subject. Ringo, people say, oh, you know, he's not that great a drummer. But he was the perfect drummer for the Beatles. Yeah. Absolutely. No one else. They wouldn't have sounded as good as anybody else. I agree with you on that one. He came up with remarkable drum parts on so yeah. many songs. Absolutely. All right. So let's move on from Denny Lane and the Diplomats. In 1966 or so, you joined the move which was a big band in England, wasn't as big in the United States, although I knew about them, and so did you know people in the know. Tell us about the move. The move was, uh, I'm, we made a big mistake not coming to America. We used to work in 66 when we started out, and in 67 when we started having hit records, um, we ended up having 10 big hit singles in Britain. Um, but we should have gone to America. We, we, we used to work all the time with The Who, with Jimi Hendrix, with Cream. Um, and they all went to America and they all did really well. And we never got there until 1969 when it, it was too late. The band, half the band had left by then. So why didn't you get there? What happened? I guess it was just bad management, really. But we were doing so well in, in Britain and in Europe you know, hit after hit. So we're in, we did, we never stopped touring um, Britain and Europe, but it was short-sighted and I wish we could have got to America. Well, it, it was a great era. And like we said at the beginning here, the British bands took over our country. Okay. So it was so exciting. In fact, I've told the story a couple of times on the podcast. There was a, a disc jockey in New York City named Murray the K, who was called the Fifth Beatle. Yeah. And he used to do a show at one of the big movie theaters. 
And I went to see one of his shows. It was around 1966, 67. And the two bands that were at the bottom of the bill, the last two on the bill were Cream and The Who. Okay. <laughs> they were just coming into the United States at that time. Madness. I know. I, I remember seeing the, Be- the Beatles third on the bill to uh, Chris Mont. Chris Montez, Montez yes. and Tommy Rowe <laughs> and uh, Beatles the third, and they absolutely blew them away. You might know, but yeah, that, that, those package tours. I think the move did the the last great package tour in 1968 in in Britain uh, because it, we sort of co-headlined with Jimi Hendrix Experience, but also on the bill were, were Pink Floyd, uh, Amen Corner. Uh, who, who were huge in, in in Britain, two or three other bands, and it was a crazy times, and you just got to play for like twenty minutes, you know. Yeah, those times don't exist anymore, and probably the tickets cost like a couple of dollars in U.S. money. Am I right? Absolutely right. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so let's fast forward a little bit. We're going to go back and listen to music from Denny Lane and from the Move when we go to the Songfest part of this episode. But I want to continue because you've had quite a journey. And around 1971 or so, you formed the Electric Light Orchestra, which is a terrific band. And the music has stood the test of time. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we were coming out of the uh, the, the original move was, uh, was a fabulous band. And it was uh, Roy Wood and Ace Kefford and Trevor Burton and Carl Wayne and myself. Uh, but first of all, Ace Kefford left. He had some sort of mental health problems, really. And then Trevor Burton left because he wanted to play much, much heavier music. And eventually Carl Wayne left. Um, so it was only myself and Roy left. And then we we asked Jeff Lynn to be part of the move. And he agreed, but only on the condition that we started a new band. And we had one, we were contractually obliged to make one more move album, which we did, just me, Jeff and Roy, an album called Message from the Country. And we did this, and it was good fun record. But it sort of uh, it funded us going in the studio and experimenting with this new band that Roy Wood named Electric Light Orchestra. And, and I think it was 1971 that in England we had a top ten record with a move song called California Man, and in the same chart was. Uh, 10538 Overture by Electric Light Orchestra. Interesting. Because, you know, over time, it, it came to be associated as a, a Jeff Lynn band. Was was he just the, the front person in the band? Was he, you know, or or was this really Roy Wood's band and your band? Well, it, it, I, I've, I've been very privileged in my career. I think I've worked with three absolute geniuses. Um, Roy Wood, wonderful uh, songwriter and musician Jeff Lynn, l- likewise wonderful songwriter musician and producer and Tony Iommi in, in Black Sabbath the best guitarist I've ever worked with and a, and a man that invented heavy metal so I thought when ELO was formed with Jeff and Roy that they would work together and almost like Lennon and McCartney type coupling but it didn't work out and it lasted less than it lasted a few months, really. really? And Roy left uh, and formed uh, a new band called Wizard, which were spectacularly successful in Britain. 
massive um, hit records. Uh, I, they didn't make it in, in the States. So me and Jeff basically reformed ELO at this stage and started recording the second album, ELO 2, in 73, I think, something like that. Uh, and and we, we made a point of not doing what the move had done, and we really concentrated on, on coming to America and did so many tours and... You know, we, we really wanted to make it in the States. Yeah. ELO uh, was a great band at that, you know, at that time. So I congratulate you on all your successes there. And I know that sometime in the 80s, you did tour a little bit with Black Sabbath, didn't you? Indeed, yeah. My good friend, I've been, Tony Iommi is my best pal in the music business, and we've known each other a long, long time. And he asked me, they, they'd made this album called Born Again. And... uh Ozzy Osbourne had left, uh, but they got Ian Gillen from Deep Purple on lead on lead vocals. The, uh, the, they recorded the album with Bill Ward, the original Sabbath drummer. But he was he wasn't he wasn't very healthy. He wasn't very fit uh, at that time. And you know they had their American tour and a European tour coming up, and they asked me to to, to be the, the the drummer live on stage, which which I which I did and I thoroughly enjoyed. Well, you've had quite a career just playing with so many people. It's really spectacular. I want to go back to the beginning, though. I like to ask my guests at times, what was your dream when you were young? Did you always want to be a musician? Yeah, this is an, I think this is a, a story I've told before, but it, it's a moving story, really. I, I was at school with my pals, we'd like hundreds and hundreds of other guys of 15-year-old kids let's form a, a, a group, you know, at school. And I immediately said, I want to be the drummer. And I don't really, I, I don't know why I wanted to be the drummer, but I just did. Did you play the drums at that time? No, <laughs> not at all, not at all. And I, and I went home and my father had died when I was 10 years old. So it was just my mum. And I asked my mum, I said, I want to be, mum, I want a kit of drums. And she immediately said yes, which was, I went, wow. Because uh, we were not a wealthy family at all. And it, this was like quite a lot of money, about $50, a lot of money back then in, in the oh, 1959, 60. Um, and so I got this kit of drums and magically I seemed to know what to do. And we used to rehearse, we used to have a shop. Um, we used to rehearse in the, in the shop. And my mom used to watch. And, I, and then after, it took her ages, it took her, after about six months, she said, I'd like to tell you now that uh, your dad was a drummer and his name was Charles Thomas Bevan, but he had a little dance band in the wartime years and it was called the Bev Bevan Trio. And she says, and that's how you got your name. Wow. So I, it was something, my, my dad was looking, uh, looking over me or something. And, so you yeah. hadn't known that story until then, huh? No, no, not at all. Wow. And uh, I, I hope, you know, I... I hope my dad is looking down and followed in his, followed in his footsteps. Uh, he's got to be very proud of you. No question about it. Just curious. Did you start off on a drum kit or did you start off on drum pads? Because when I started playing in my early teenage years, we had a drummer that just had drum pads. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> the, the, the one thing that and it should have been a clue uh, around the house were, were, were a, a set of bongos. Uh -huh. They obviously belonged to my dad. Right. And music was so bland 
in in the fifties, the, the mid fifties. It was you know, Acker oh, Bilk. Yeah, and 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 we have and people like oh I don't know, we had people like oh, Dennis Lotus and Michael Holiday and the King Brothers and and whatever. <laughs> and but then I heard Heartbreak Hotel, and I heard Elvis, and I and then I began to hear. Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis and Ray Charles. I go, wow, what is this? And I just fell in love with uh, with American rock and roll music, and that's when we formed our little band and uh, and started playing shows at school. See what we did for England, okay? <laughs> we gave you all this great music, and you recycled it and gave it back to us. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I love American rock and roll music. The original stuff is wow. Just something else. All right, I got to ask you: Who are your favorite drummers? My favorite drummers. Um, I started out by, by I didn't even know the names at the time, but it would have been DJ Fontana, who was Elvis's brother, uh, uh-huh. uh, drummer. drummer. Um, and I love the Phil Spector sound. I love the the guys that he, that he used. My favorite British drummer was a guy called Brian Bennett from the Shadows, and then. In, in the move days, a young kid used to come and watch me play and steal ideas off me. And we became pals. His name was John Bonham. <laughs> and then I went to, and, and then he joined Zeppelin and I used to go and watch him. And he was amazing. Uh, he was just incredible drummer, John Bonham. Um, the, a guy I like, I like a lot now is Anton Fig, uh, yes, Joe Bonham's yeah. drummer. Anton Fig was on my podcast. I played in a band with Anton for about three years in Boston wow. in the 70s. And uh, he's a fantastic drummer. And then he was on my first album. So um, good taste on your part, yeah. yes. Great. Hey, everybody. My Follow Your Dream handbook is an Amazon number one bestseller. It's a combination memoir of my unique musical journey and a step-by-step how-to for you to follow and succeed at your dream. It's available at Amazon and wherever books are sold. Check it out today. All right, let's go into the second half of this show, and we're going to do the song fest. And um, I want to start, I want to go back to the Denny Lane era. You did a song back then called Forever and a Day, which we're playing a little bit now underneath us. It's a real early 60s kind of rock and roll sound. a little bit about that song and the situation yeah well it's, uh, it's probably the first thing we ever re- we went in we had a recording session in birmingham at a, a you know a tiny little studio that we rented and we were big beatles fans and and it, there's certainly a beatles influence in there and denny lane who i'm still in touch with by the way uh, and he lives in the, in florida now, nowadays mm-hmm. uh very talented guy and the most driven man i'd ever met in, in rock and roll he was he knew he was going to be a big star and he, and he was interesting. Interesting. Okay. I want to go to the next kind of early sixties type of sound. This is the moves version of, I can hear the grass grow. 
Tell us a little bit about that. This this was the move's second hit single in, in Britain, and it's probably my favourite. We had ten hits, as I said, uh, and I, I I like the way I plan it. For one thing, I like you know I love, I love the drums sound good. I like the fills that I'm playing. It's a song that we do to this day. We play it with Quill on, on the road still because I love it so much. And I know it's not well known in in America, but give it a listen give the move a listen yeah 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 does it does it still have that kind of 60s sound to it when you play it today or have you kind yeah, of rearranged yeah, we, it we, we we it's exactly the same arrangement and what's nice about it on uh, on the original record there are three different lead singers on the record and we, so with quill we do the same thing so we have three different singers on um playing live interesting Okay, next one we're going to listen to and talk about is an ELO song, Fire on High. It's a different kind of song, you know, it's, uh, it's an instrumental, it's, it kind of moves into different phases. a little bit about that one well i i love this because it is it is very very drum heavy <laughs> that uh, it I, is. Believe, I, I believe it was used as a sports theme like nbc sports or so, some saturday afternoon sports program they use it as a theme okay. so it got played a lot and it opens the face of the music album uh and then goes into another song that i really like called poker and i, I again um I don't play ELO songs very often, but if I was, this is one that I would be playing because I, I like what I do on it. Well, you're right. It is a very drum heavy kind of a song and uh, you sounded great on it. No question. Thank you. Good for you. Okay. Let's move to Quill. I know that's your current band. I want you to tell us a little bit about it. We're playing underneath. I think it's your single. It's called Riding Rainbows. I'm sure Tell us a little bit about the song and about the band. 
Yeah, uh, Quill, I, I joined about five years ago. My partner now is, is Joy, a lead singer. And during we made this album during lockdown, and we're incredibly proud of it. It's getting really great reviews. And it's just Quill is a seven-piece band. It's an unusual lineup. I play drums and percussion, but so does a guy called Andy Edwards, who, who used to be with Robert Plant. It's like Joy's lead singer. Uh, we've got Kate on, on, on fiddle, and then we've got Lee on lead guitar, a brilliant singer, uh, keyboardist, Abby Brandt, and a great bass player, John Joey. We recorded this album, and I called in a few uh, friends. To, I got, I got uh, Chris Norman from Smokey to sing a duet with Joy, Andy Fair with a low from uh, the Lowriders and Amen Corner. He also sang a duet. Um, Tony Martin from Black Sabbath. He sings a, a duet with, with Joy on this as well. Uh, John Lodge from Moody Blues. These guys all flew their parts in because it was locked down yeah, and we couldn't we had to do it that way. get in the studio together. But it's we've got a great producer, Alan Caves, who put it all together. And as, as I've said, just we're so delighted with the album. So nice. I just had John Lodge on the podcast. And he was another guy, of course, that went through that whole British invasion era in the 60s. And I asked him the same question I asked you. What was it like? Yeah. And he smiled. He said it was fantastic. Exactly. (laughs) He's a lovely man, John. He really is. Terrific. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. You're a terrific drummer. Everybody knows your work. And uh, I want to wish you all the best going forward with Quill and everything else that you do. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, I'd like to, and if I may, I, um, we also have a, a thing called Quill Connect, which is like a TV show. Okay. Uh, if you go, if you go to our website, which is www.quilluk.com, you can pick up, uh, watch the TV shows too. A TV show for the band. Love that. Yeah. Update on the monkeys, huh? <laughs> I'm only. <two>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Beth, for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. I'm gonna be-